The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. So would you take your Bible now and go to Acts chapter 2. Jacob has invited me not only to come and have the privilege and, and, and honor of speaking from God's Word, but to enter into your sermon series here on Renewal. And this morning, my contribution to this teaching series is to direct your attention to the role of the Holy Spirit in personal and corporate renewal in the church. And I believe we have a text of scripture that we'll be looking at this morning that directs our attention to how the Spirit of God works within the gathered church in particular to renew us and transform us and refresh us and make us more, a little bit more what he's created and redeemed us to be. And so let me direct your attention now to Acts 2, 42 through 47. Let us hear the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me direct your attention back to verse 43. And all came upon every soul. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and teaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I'm sure you're aware of what it's like to experience awe and wonder. You know, there's times in your life where all you could do is step back and say, that was awesome. And maybe like me, you, you have kind of like a, 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 an immaterial keepsake box in your mind of, of awesome moments. And for me, those awesome moments in my mind are connected to specific dates. Like October 19th, 1994, I was a senior in high school. And they were about to implode a historic landmark in our neighborhood, the Sears Roebuck Clock Tower. The Sears Roebuck Clock Tower stood in our neighborhood as the tallest architectural structure. And anybody who was driving down the Roosevelt Boulevard knew when they got to the clock tower, they were in northeast Philadelphia. But they were completely downsized in the Sears Corporation. And so this big, archaic building was about to be demolished. What was the morning of the demolition? And me and my buddy, Tim, decided that we were going to go down there and witness the implosion. We got as close to the caution tape as possible that we could actually hear the countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7. And before our eyes, in a matter of seconds, we watched 9 million bricks disappear before our eyes. We could feel the earth move under our feet. You know what? That was awesome. YouTube it sometime. It's an amazing thing to watch, but it was an even more amazing and awesome experience to feel. Another date, May 19th, 2001, my wedding day. 
Rachel and I decided before the wedding day that we would coordinate an, an, an opportunity for me to see her in her wedding gown before all the pictures, before the ceremony, before everything started getting crazy. And so I still remember standing in the front of the church with my back to the doors, hearing the doors open, turning around and seeing her for the first time in her wedding gown. Let me tell you something, that was awesome. Or April 2nd, 2003, September 17th, 2004, September 18th, 2006, the birthdays of each of our children, Payson, Piper, and Silas. I still remember holding each one of them in my arms for the very first time. That was awesome. Or here may be a date you can identify with. December 19th, 2001, the premiere of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings on the big screen. Okay. What was, what was read on paper was finally on the big screen. And I got to see with my very own eyes Gandalf take his staff, plant it in the bridge in the mines of Moria, and hear him say those famous words, you shall not pass. That was awesome. How about February 29th, 1992? Probably the most awesome day on my life calendar. I was a teenager, 15 years old, really born and raised in a really rough home in Philadelphia. Started going out to a youth group on Friday nights. I got kids off the streets in my neighborhood, and I was invited to go to a winter retreat down in Screen Lake, New York, at Word of Life Camp. Even though I've been hearing the gospel many times over and over, it was like water on a duck's back. But that night, February 29, 1992, something happened. In addition to me hearing the gospel with my ears, the Holy Spirit began to do a work in my heart. And for the very first time, I experienced what I understand today to be genuine conviction as God was convicting me of my sin and convincing me of what I would experience if I didn't get to Christ and receive his forgiveness and mercy and deliverance. And that night, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was born again. That was awesome. I'm sure your life has its category, its, its catalog of awesome moments. And here in Acts 2, 42 to 47, we find a local church that is having its fair share of awesome moments. In fact, it's a church that we just read about here in verse 43 that was filled with awe, and awe came upon every soul. And what we're going to discover is that the reason this church was filled with awe, the reason why this church was, was filled with wonder, is because this was a church that was keenly aware that Jesus was among them by the renewing presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was among them by the renewing presence of the Holy Spirit. They knew that Jesus was in their midst. He, his presence was tangible. His, his power was discernible. His grace was palpable. His nearness was detectable. And day by day, they were aware that the crucified, risen, and exalted Christ was right there in their midst. And church, it was awesome. It was awesome to know that Christ was there among them. So day by day, whether they were in large groups or hanging out in smaller groups in their homes, this church was growing each day in their awe of Jesus 
Because this was a church that was going deeper in their pursuit of the presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning from this text. We want to talk about how this church was experiencing the Spirit's renewal as day by day they went deeper in their all of Jesus, as they went deeper in their pursuit of Jesus. And so as we look at this text this morning in the book of Acts, I I don't want to assume that you believe or understand that, that Christ's vision for the church in the book of Acts remains Christ's vision for the church today. The book of Acts is, a, is not a monument for us to marvel at. The book of Acts is a model for us to aspire to. This is what the church looked like in the first century. And this is what the church is to, to, to continue to look like until Jesus returns and makes all things new. And so Jesus wants King's Cross Church to go deeper in your all of Jesus to go deeper in your experience of the presence of Jesus, to go deeper in your encounters of the Spirit's renewing presence, just like this church in Jerusalem. And so that's what we want to consider this morning, how you will go deeper in your experience of the Spirit's renewing power as you go deeper in your pursuit of Christ's presence. This was a church that was filled with awe because this was a church that was encountering Christ. So I want to consider this amazing reality from three angles in the text before us this morning. I'll spend the majority of the time on the first point and then just touch a little bit on each subsequent point. But I want us to consider all, the all of pursuing Christ this morning and how that relates to the Spirit's work in renewal. First, I want us to consider all defined, what does it mean to be in awe of Christ? I want us to consider all discovered, how do we pursue being in awe of Christ? And then third, I want us to consider all denied, what keeps us from being in awe of Christ? So let's look at this one at a time. First, all defined. What does it mean for this church to be in awe of Christ? What does it mean that all came upon every soul? Let's just think about the words that are there in verse 43. First, the word soul. The word soul is talking about the the immaterial immaterial part of a person, the part of a person that you don't see, the part that's not seen, the part that's sensed. It's dealing with the emotions, our feeling, our perceptions, So whatever all is describing here, it's something that everyone in this church was sensing at the core of their being. And there's the word all itself. The word all, it comes from the Greek word phobos. And I don't typically drop Greek bombs in my context for preaching unless it sounds like a word we're familiar with. What's the word phobos sound like? Phobia. Right? So this is what this word is. This is where, where we get our English word phobia. It literally means to be afraid. So this word all in its original, at, at its original root means to be afraid. It's a, it's a word that describes a deep emotional experience that affects both the body and the mind. However, depending on its use in scripture, it can mean the experience of a negative emotion like terror or it can mean a positive emotion like wonder. 
It's a word that can mean on one end of the spectrum, oh no. And on the other end of the spectrum, it can mean, oh wow. So this word all can mean, oh no, or oh wow, or anything in between. For example, in the Old Testament, it's what Isaiah felt when he had that encounter with the, with the ascended Christ, that vision of the ascended Christ. In Isaiah chapter 6, where we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon his throne, high and lifted up. And above him were seraphim, each having six wings. With two they flew, and with two they covered their eyes, and with two they covered their feet. And one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And as Isaiah is seeing this, what's his response? Oh no, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. What did Isaiah experience there in a moment? He experienced all. He experienced an oh no moment as he encountered the presence of Jesus Christ. Or on the positive end of the spectrum, it's, it's Jesus with his disciples in a boat. I, I don't know how familiar you are with the Gospels, but if I, was, if I was Jesus, I would just never get in a boat with these guys. Bad things happen in boats in the Gospels, all right? These guys are always having issues in the boat. So it's like, do we have to take a boat? I mean, that would be my perspective if I was Jesus. Do, we have, do I have to get in a boat with this guy's father? Right? But he does it over and over and over again. What is the particular moment where Jesus is, he, Jesus is worn out. The, the human side of Jesus is absolutely just spent doing all that he's doing um, to teach and teach in the synagogues and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and, and heal all kinds of brokenness. And he's wiped out. He's taking a nap in the bottom of the boat and this storm breaks out. And the disciples are freaked out. They're like, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? And then Jesus gets up out of, from his nap, comes to the side of the boat. And you know this, what he says, right? He says, peace, be still. Literally, in the original language, it's like, shh, be quiet. And the storm completely stops. The wind stops howling. The rain stops pouring. The the waves stop crashing. And what do the disciples do? They go, oh, wow. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. That's all. All is oh no, oh wow, and and everything in between. This was the experience of the church in the book of Acts over and over again. They're having these oh wow moments as as the gospels preached and the Lord is adding to their number. Day by day, those are being saved. There are these, these miraculous outpourings of the Holy Spirit where thousands of people are believing and thousands of people are being baptized. And the church is just standing back going, oh wow. Look what God's doing. Or in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira conspired to lie to the church and lie to God, and they dropped dead before the church. And the church is like, oh, no. Oh, no. So this is the experience of the church in the book of Acts. Oh, no. Oh, wow. This is all. But here's something that's really, really important to note about their experience of all. Whether it's an oh no or an oh wow moment, the common denominator is that all happens when a soul is aware that Christ is near. All is what happens when people encounter the presence of God. 
all is what happens when you experience the nearness of Christ. So those who are in awe of God are those who are aware that God is not just somewhere out there. God is right here, right now. God in their midst. So when we read in verse 43, and all came upon every soul, what this means is that everybody in the church could sense that Jesus was right there among them. Even though they couldn't see him with their eyes, they could sense him in their souls. John Stott in his phenomenal commentary on the book of Acts made the following observation about where this all came from. He said, quote, God had visited their city. He was in their midst and they knew it. They knew it. The same Jesus that they had just watched ascend into the heavens with their eyeballs, they could sense that that same Jesus was still among them, even though they could no longer see him with their eyes. They sensed his presence. They felt his presence. They were in awe of Jesus. So awe is not a concept or a principle or a proposition. Awe is an experience. It's the soul's response to the presence of Christ. F.F. Bruce, New Testament scholar, notes, there was an enduring sense of awe inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst. So even though they couldn't see him, they were aware that he was among them. And let me just stop for a moment. The same is true right now. This might feel like an ordinary Sunday morning. You might feel like nothing spectacular. Here we are once again, gathered together as God's people in this sacred space, pouring out our hearts from God, eager to receive from his word. And, And even though we do not see Jesus with our eyes, church, Jesus is right here among us. And sometimes, in his mercy, he allows us to sense that he's here. He's always here, whether we sense it or not. But sometimes, in his mercy, he gives us an overwhelming sense that he's here. Another thing to note about that is that it says, all came upon every soul. This means that it was a passive experience. What do I mean by that? They didn't choose to be in awe. You don't work up awe and wonder. Awe is not a switch that you pull. Awe isn't something that happens when the music goes really well and doesn't happen when the music doesn't go well. Awe isn't something that we choose to have by creating the right atmosphere so that we can really sense through the, through the, through the sounds and the, and the smells that God is here with us, like this spooky ear. You've been to those situations before where it's like the, the music is like, oh, God's here with us, right? 
right? This is not something we conjure up. This is not something we create. This is not something we even facilitate. All comes upon us means this. If all happens, if we sense the presence of God, it's because God has chosen in his mercy to allow us to sense he's near. God makes all happen. And so if God makes all happen, all is a gift. God makes us aware that he's near. All came upon every soul. And because God makes all happen, here's something we we can say. He wants us to sense him. He wants us to encounter him. He wants us to know that he's near. Now, now, I don't know where everyone comes from. Some of you might be brand new Christians. Some of you may have recently come to Christ, and this is your only church, but some of you have been Christians for a while, and you come from different Christian traditions. And when I talk about sensing God, feeling God, you start getting like little flags going up. Like if you come from more of a traditional kind of what I call the frozen chosen kind of background, okay? It's like, okay, if we talk about like emotions in the context of church, that kind of like cuts across the grain of the objective realities of the Christian faith. And so if we talk about sensing things and feeling things, that's, that's too subjective. That's not objective enough. I don't like that. Or maybe you come from the other side, the happy, clappy costals, right? Where it's like everything is about feelings, and if you don't have an experience, then you didn't really worship God. And if, and, and if, and if, the, and if, the, if the preacher didn't really get worked up and start talking in language that you couldn't understand, then that preacher wasn't anointed. And so there are extremes. And when people come from those extremes, when, when they hear about sensing and feeling and encountering, it can be a little alarming. But here's reality. God makes all happen. Therefore, God wants us to sense his presence. Do you know right now, Jesus, one of the last words that came out of the mouth of Jesus before he ascended was that he wanted you to know that he would be with you to the end. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go make disciples of the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them everything I commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus wants you to know that he's with you. I don't know what you're going through right now. And this is kind of a little bit of a sidebar. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what's happening in your life right now. But here's something you need to know. You are not alone. The difficulty that you're wrestling with, the uncertainty that you are encountering, Jesus wants you to know the very last words out of his mouth before he ascended to heaven were, I am with you always to the end of the age. I got good news for you. Jesus is with you. Those moments where you feel like you're alone, those moments where you bury your face in your hands and you cry yet again, oh no, why? You are not truly ever alone. Christ is with you to the end of the age. And you say, okay, I'm not trying to be a skeptic here, but if Jesus said, I'm with you to the end of the age, it's kind of an odd place for him to say that, right? I'm with you to the end of the age. And he says that right before he disappears and descends to heaven. Like, okay, what are you doing, Jesus? What do you mean by that? How are you both with me to the end and not before my eyes? What's really, really important, Jesus actually explained this to his disciples. 
even though Jesus would leave the earth in one sense, he would remain with his disciples, with his church, and with us in another sense. There's a whole section in the Gospel of John called the Final Discourse, John 14 through John 17. And in that Final Discourse, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time in between his leaving and his returning. And in that section, he says the following. Jacob, my water bottle is back there right next to my bag. Could you grab it for me, please? In John 14, 16 through 18, Jesus said this to his disciples. Thanks, God. John 14, 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If you were following that text as I was reading, here's what Jesus is saying. Even though I'm leaving you in one sense, I will be with you in another sense. And the way I will be with you is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the way Jesus is with us in between the times of his leaving and returning is he is with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The same apostle said in 1 John 3, 24, and by this we know that Jesus abides in us by the Spirit who he has given to us. Meaning the way we sense him, the way we encounter him, the way we come into experiences of Christ's presence is through the Holy Spirit's presence. Meaning one of the primary reasons the Holy Spirit has been given to us is so that we can know and sense and experience the presence of Jesus until he returns. Jesus doesn't want us to be alone. So he's given us the Holy Spirit to sense his nearness until Jesus returns. That's why the Holy Spirit is referred to in Romans chapter 8 as the Spirit of of Christ. It is through the Holy Spirit that we experience the nearness of Jesus. So, to our text in Acts, where was this all coming from? How was it that the church in Jerusalem was experiencing the presence of Jesus? The church in Acts is experiencing the nearness of the ascended Christ through the presence of the outpoured Spirit. So here's the big takeaway for us. And here's how this relates to the Holy Spirit and our renewal. We can experience the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's where all comes from. All comes from those moments when the Holy Spirit makes us aware that Christ is in midst. So church, Jesus is not with us in theory. Jesus is with us in reality. We don't just simply simply come together and talk about Jesus. We come together in the presence 
of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. When we come together as the church, we can encounter the presence of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And church, he's here with us right now, whether we are aware of it or not. And in his mercy, there are times where he allows us to sense that he is right here in our midst. And that ought to be our longing. We want more of Jesus. And the way we get more of Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. That's where all comes from. So that's all defined. All is the effect of God on the soul who's aware of Christ's presence through the Holy Spirit. So how do we go after that? Notice second, all discovered. And I promised you that my first point was longer than the last two points. All discovered. How do we pursue being in all of Christ? How do we pursue encountering Christ through the Holy Spirit? Well, to answer that question, we need to see how verses 42 and 43 relate in our text and everything that comes after it. That's why I read the whole section. Where was this all coming from? Well, we know it was coming through the Holy Spirit, but through what means? Look at the text again, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. So here's the connection we're supposed to make. As the church pursued the teaching of the apostles, as they pursued fellowship by gathering in larger groups in the temple and smaller groups house to house, as they pursued the sacrament of the breaking of the bread and the Lord's Supper, as they pursued God in humble, dependent prayer, it was through pursuing these ordinary means of grace that they encountered the extraordinary presence of Christ. This is where they all came from. All came upon every soul as they devoted themselves to the word, prayer, sacrament, and fellowship. So as this church did the things that we've come to know that the church just always does, as the church pursued its, its liturgical life together, it was there in the midst of the church's liturgy that the church encountered fresh experiences of the ascended Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So as the gospel was preached, as the Bible was read, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they fellowshiped together, ministering to one another in love and holding each other true to their confession of faith, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. As they broke the bread and drank the cup, partaking in the Lord's Supper, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they prayed together, pouring out their hearts to God for protection and provision and guidance and the miraculous, it was there that they experienced the presence of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. As they later on would sing with glad and generous hearts and as they would serve their neighborhood in love and word and deed and have favor among the people, it was there that they experienced the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the point for us. The way we discover all, 
the way we encounter the presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit is by the ordinary stuff that God has called us to do as the church. And as we do the ordinary stuff, as we gather like we are here, and as we gather around our tables in our home, and as we go out in mercy and love and represent Jesus to the community, it's in those ordinary spaces and places that we experience the nearness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's those very activities, that very liturgical and missional life that the church experiences together. It's there in the midst of those simple things that we encounter the nearness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to go deeper in your all of Christ, if you want to go deeper in your experience of the presence of Christ, then the pathway is very simple. Go after him through the means where he's promised to make himself available. Go after him in the word. Go after him in prayer. Go after him. Draw near to him as you receive the bread and the cup. Go after him as you come together and use the gifts that God's given you to serve one another in love. Go after him and and beg for him to go with you as you go out into the community and represent him as you serve in love and mercy. We go after Jesus as we go after the means where Jesus is promised to meet with us. So do you want to be filled with all? Do you want to be more aware that Christ is with you to the end? Do you want to sense his nearness and be renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not going to happen passively. We actively pursue the means where he's promised to be found, and there he meets with us in fresh, life-transforming ways. Finally, all denied. What keeps us from being in all of Christ? All defined, all is encountering the nearness of God through the nearness of the Holy Spirit all discovered where do we find it? We find it on the path of pursuing him through the means that he's ma- that he makes himself available, all denied. What keeps us from experiencing that all? What keeps us from encountering the presence of Christ? What keeps us from experiencing the renewing power of the Holy Spirit through those means? It's very simple, lack of pursuit. Lack of pursuit. Solomon said in Proverbs 13:4, the soul of the sluggard desires but has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be richly blessed. In other words, it's not enough to just simply want more of Christ's presence. We must go after him. We must pursue him. We were promised through the prophet Jeremiah, if you seek him, you will find him. If you search with all your heart, you won't experience all in wonder if you don't pursue Christ in the places where he's promised to make his presence. And so realize this, church, your greatest privilege as a child of God And your greatest privilege collectively as the people of God is the presence of Christ among you. 
it's your greatest privilege. You are marked by the presence of Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But you know this is true. It's one thing to have a privilege. It's another thing to take advantage of a privilege. One Christmas, one of my close friends got me a really awesome Christmas present. It, it seemed like it was pretty ordinary on the surface, but it was there was more to it than met the eye. It was a Starbucks travel mug. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. I lose those all the time. Right? But inside the Starbucks travel mug, there was a card. And in the card, I pulled it out, and it said, you are eligible for one free espresso drink every day in the month of January. That's 31 days of caramel macchiatos. I mean, that was gold to this coffee addict, okay? And so I got that gift on Christmas, and I was counting down the days to January 1st where I could begin to take advantage of this amazing gift that I was given. And so guess who was in line on January 1st? I was in line on January 1st to get my first caramel macchiato. And then guess who showed up the next day on January 2nd with his trusty mug? Me, to get my second caramel macchiato. And then the next day on the 3rd. And then you know what? On the 4th, I was kind of having a bad Thursday. Thursday's kind of my Wednesday. It's kind of like my hump day. I've always had issues with Thursdays. I wish we just went from Wednesday to Friday. I don't know about you, but Thursdays are just my day. Well, I was having a groggy day. I didn't get up. I didn't get in my routine. You know what didn't happen? That barista didn't show up at my door knocking and say, here's your caramel macchiato. I mean, I didn't get to enjoy my privilege because I didn't take advantage and pursue it. It's the very same thing with the presence of Christ. We have this great privilege, and we won't encounter it unless we pursue it. You've been promised by Christ to experience his nearness through the Holy Spirit, through all the means that he makes himself available, both individually and collectively as the church. And until we take advantage and go after him, we will not experience the fullness of what we have in him. I recommend to your reading a very small but powerful book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. It's a classic. It changed my life when I was in college. And in, his, in, in one of his chapters on the pursuit, he, he makes this following distinction between the presence of God and the manifestation of his presence. And he says, quote, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are fully unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. There's a difference between God's omnipresence. He's at all places, at all times, in the entire being, and his manifest, sensed presence. And the difference is cooperation. Will we pursue him? Will we cooperate with him? When we do, he will show us 
himself. How do we cooperate with him? In loving obedience, as Tozer notes, we must go after God. We must pursue Christ through all the means he makes himself available. Word, prayer, fellowship, sacrament, praise, charity, evangelism. When we do the ordinary stuff the church has been doing, for 2,000 plus years, it's there in the midst of, of, of encountering those ordinary means of grace that we experience the extraordinary presence of Christ through the Spirit who renews us day by day. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that my brothers and sisters here at King's Cross would would be filled with, with awe and wonder as they go more deeply into their pursuit of Christ together. I pray that as they come together as a church and they experience their liturgical life together, as they hear the call to worship and as they sing the songs and as they offer up the prayers and as they read the Old and New Testament and as they receive the preaching of the Word and as they partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and as they receive a benediction, I pray that there in those ordinary means of the church's liturgical life, that these brothers and sisters would experience fresh outpourings of your Spirit that allow them to encounter the realness of Christ's presence among them. And I pray that that renewing presence of Christ through the Spirit would not only transform them and stir them and fill them with awe in the confines of this gathering space, but I pray that it would go with them as they go back to their homes and their streets and their workplaces and their schools, the places where they've been sent by you to represent you. And I pray that because they're there, that more of your presence would be detected there. So God, would you please take King's cross into a deeper experience of Christ's presence together and therefore be brought to a deeper awe and wonder that the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ is right here in their midst by the renewing presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray that this would, this would turn this church and this community upside down for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.